Hey, it's Nick Wolters again with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast brought to you by the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. And one of the things that we've enjoyed each month is getting a legal update from our friends at uh, the Bradley Law Firm with their cannabis um, practice group. And Whit Steinecker is on with us yet again to keep us posted on all things legal happening within the hemp industry. So, Whit, welcome back again. Good to be here, Nick. Terrific. So, Let's talk. There's been a whole lot of brouhaha going around about this um, DEA case uh, that had to do with the lawsuit as it related to um, all things. Uh, well, I guess not all things cannabis, right? But I mean, just the thing specifically as it relates around some of the CBD stuff. So let's do this. Tell us a little bit about what this case was about and then help us understand where that is in the process and then maybe also help us understand uh, what impact that has on the hemp industry or could have. Is sure. that a mouthful? Okay. Uh, yes, but I follow you. Um, okay. So um, let's take a step back in, in this part of, let's look at how we got here. Okay. Um, so the, you know, the farm bill passes at the end of 2018 and really for the first meaningful time, uh, codifies the term hemp as a legal term, and it carves it out from the definition of marijuana in the Controlled Substances Act. So effectively meaning hemp is legal, uh, marijuana remains a controlled substance under the Controlled Substances Act. Um, and you know it defines hemp as, I'm sure almost all, if not all listeners to this podcast know, defines hemp in a specific way. But I think Primarily for the discussion here, uh, it's you know part of the cannabis plant with uh, less. It's a cannabis plant in any of its parts with a THC level of less than 0.3 percent. Um, one important thing, and it's important for a number of reasons, but it's specifically important in this case for a more technical reason, <clears throat> is that the farm bill shifted shifted responsibility for hemp. Uh, to the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Food and Drug Administration, whereas historically marijuana, where hemp was in included in before the Farm Bill, um, marijuana was under the purview of the Department of Justice and the uh, Drug Enforcement Agency, so the DEA. And so <clears throat> that was a that was an important shift, I think, conceptually. I mean, those are two very, the DOJ and USDA are very different in their mindset, how they approach things, sort of what their mandates are. Mm -hmm. You know, the DOJ is trying to get bad guys. The USDA is trying to, you know, broadly speaking, help farmers. Um, and so, and FDA is significantly different from, you know, what DEA does. So that was an important change. And, and, and I think one that was important to the hemp industry that now they need to be taking their orders from USDA, FDA, as opposed to DOJ, DEA. Mm, okay, right. so short, shortly after the passage of the Farm Bill, the DEA comes out and issues uh, regulations implementing the Farm Bill. And this is a very common thing. Uh, the, a statute changes in Congress, and then the federal agency has to change the regulations 
uh, that go along with that law. The regulations typically provide greater specificity. They put more meat on the bones of sort of broader congressional language. Um, it's more of the day-to-day type things, um, the types of things that you would find on a federal government administration website. Sometimes it's even Q&As um, or things like that, give you know, administrative guidance. Uh, DEA issues a document that essentially restate, that, that says, look, there's been this change, um, and then defines hemp and redefines marijuana and essentially defines it not verbatim, but pretty much verbatim the way that uh, the, the legislative text of the Farm Bill did so. But also, you know, had a little bit of squishy language about how if it's more than 0.3 percent, it's marijuana. And, and I think just there was this sense, and maybe it was um, cynicism sort of seeking through, maybe it was decades of distrust of the of the federal government or the, specifically the, the DEA or the Department of Justice. <clears throat> but I think a lot of people in the hemp industry said, well, wait a minute, what are these guys doing? Mm. And why are they, what are, I thought we weren't in their land anymore. And, and, and if they're not using exactly the same language and they're reiterating strongly their ability to come in and uh, take action, if it's above 0.3%, what are they really saying? What does that mean? If they're saying that it has to mean something. Um, and I think what they, and I think what people uh, most practically and immediately jump to, what it, it was something that occurs typically in the uh, sort of the oil processing uh, uh, stage, but theoretically could happen whenever you're handling uh, a hemp, uh, a hemp or even a hemp derived product is that, you can have a situation where, and let's say you you are a processor, um, hemp that for its entire lifespan has been below 0.3% THC comes to you, and there's something about your processing that for a moment in time, and that moment can vary, can be seconds to days even, depending on the process, the THC level actually sort of in a, the interim THC level spikes above 0.3%. And then that before it's sold to the next, pushed down the supply chain or sold to anyone in the public, it's back down below 0.3%. So it, it doesn't mean that the public has access to um, or, or any sort of actual legal access to um, anything above 0.3%. But, the, but there's sort of this in-process moment. And there's always been this question in the industry of what do you do with that? And a lot of people thought that this might be a sort of the DEA backdooring its way into shutting down the CBD industry uh, or in, uh, initiating a, a bunch of enforcement actions saying, well, wait a minute, that's now above 0.3%. So even though it started out as hemp, um, it's not hemp anymore. Um, now, to the... I think it's worth noting that well, I, I'm not aware of any instances where the DEA actually initiated an enforcement action uh, on that point. And in fact, when challenged in court, and we'll talk about the, 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 the challenges, um, the DEA said that its intention was simply to codify the, to, to, to basically to replicate the statutory language. 
Okay. So because of this distrust and because of this worry, and it is is a significant worry because if you're in the hemp industry, you're looking at, if you believe that the DEA is up to something, we are thinking, well, if that's the position they're taking, then now I'm in a situation where uh, I am risking DEA enforcement action if they show up at my you know door and I've got product that's over 0.3%. And remember, you know, when you get a letter from the FDA, that usually says something like, hey, we think you've broken the law. You've got 15 days to stop or let us know why you think we're wrong. That's not how the Department of Justice and the DEA work. Um, you know, they show up with windbreakers. Um, and, you know, th- that is a much more serious issue that is much more likely to be a criminal issue than it is some sort of civil resolution. So this is a this was not in the in the eyes of many um, just some academic uh, question um, that, that you know people could sort of debate about you know over you know hemp tea at night. You know this was a real uh, live issue and, and, and threatened uh, if it go, went the wrong way to to really do harm to the industry. So. The Hemp Industry Association uh, and a couple of, uh, of its members filed two different lawsuits um, in Washington, D.C. Um, and I will not bore you or the listeners with all of the nuances because it is extremely dry issues of regulatory law. Um, this is not this is not all that uh, compelling um, stuff, mainly because. The way the court addressed, and it was three judges in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, so a federal appeals court, uh, they issued two opinions. There's the same three judges um, on both panels. Um, One case basically said that the uh, rule uh, uh, – one case was sort of specific to this issue of – the interim final rule, and that's, that's that's what we've been talking about, this DEA interim final rule uh, right. issued at the end of the Trump administration, um, said that it uh, exceeded the agency's juris- uh, uh, jurisdiction uh, under the Farm Bill. And they originally filed that in the district court for the, uh, for the D.C., within the D.C. circuit. So they filed it in the district, federal district court in Washington, D.C. Um, and that, that court said that uh, dismiss the case, saying you have to; those types of cases have to be filed directly to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, so that was really sort of a technical that, that was a loss, really, on sort of technical and procedural grounds. And then the other one, the court said, which which addressed sort of this question of was there any difference between the text of the regulation and the text of the statute. The court basically said there's not even that the, the, the hemp industry association and this other hemp uh, party lack standing to sue because they'd suffered no injury. And in fact, went as far as to say there's not even a case or controversy before us because all you have is the DEA saying we don't intend this to deviate from the statute. There's no actual enforcement action undergoing, um, and therefore. We don't issue opinions, advisory opinions, right? We're not, right. We're not law professors, although, interestingly enough, the person who wrote that 
uh, opinion was my law professor uh, in school, and this is exactly what the type of thing that uh, you would expect from from him. Um, and uh, you know, we don't we don't opine on things that aren't live controversies. And here, there is no live controversy. You're worried this thing may happen, but there doesn't seem to be sufficient um, grounds for you to be worried about it. And so, basically, I think we're pretty we're pretty much back to where we started. And and if if you were someone who was worried that this was some sort of DEA back door into shutting down the CBD industry. On the one hand, I think you could say that there was nothing in this litigation uh, that, that would have closed that door and that would, or, or narrowed the DEA's authority. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, it, the opinions do several times make note that DEA hasn't indicated an interest, and there's certainly not an imminent interest in and uh, changing its enforcement policy to go after um, people with these sort of in-process, uh, te- maybe technical violations of the Farm Bill, at least arguable technical violations of the Farm Bill. So um, it, it, I think there will probably be subsequent litigation that tries to nibble around the edges of what the court said. Um, certainly, if there is an enforcement action on these grounds, then there will be a live case and controversy, and the court will have to address this head on. Um, but it may just be that, as with so many other, uh, and, and, and also the DA has come out and said that uh, you know this is not really a place where they see themselves spending uh, their enforcement dollars. You know they're looking at the opioid crisis and they're looking at other other uh, uh, enforcement priorities. So um, there's reason to 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 think that. Um, the, the status quo is probably a, a, a safe enough place to operate, uh, but I certainly understand those uh, who, you know, either because they're investing, um, you know, substantial sums of money, uh, or they don't, they, there's reputational harms uh, on themselves or their investors. Um, there's all sorts of reasons why you want greater clarity. And certainly, as an attorney, I, I always want that. But sure. I think this is just one of many examples uh, in this area where. Uh, we're just going to have to get comfortable being uncomfortable on some stuff. And, and just one last point, and, and I'm sure you'll have questions, and, and there's lots of practical things to talk about here too if, we, if we'd like, but um, this doesn't do anything for any state law that may specifically address this issue. So if you live in a state where you know the Department of Agriculture or whatever agency it is in the state that um, runs your hemp program, um, if they have a more stringent rule that says, for example, if at any point in the process the THC level exceeds 0.3%, uh, then it is uh, illegal and subject to seizure, well, you need to understand that, that that rule is still in place. And so all this spoke to was the ability of the DEA to issue its regulations that say what it said, but it does not impede the ability of the state necessarily. I mean, so much uh, lodge a challenge uh, and maybe it would be successful, but at least as of right now, any more stringent state laws uh, would seem to be uh, in, in remain in effect. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> that's super helpful. So the first, that first lawsuit, it, it just, somebody didn't file it where they should have filed it. Right. I mean, it was a technical thing. Yeah. I mean, and look, I, 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 don't, I don't think it was sloppiness. Um, 
I think it, I think they were trying to get an injunction quickly, um, and so they styled it a very specific way. I got and you. the court of the court of appeals basically said, "No, no, 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 no." That's yeah, good, if good you want to challenge, <laughs> yeah, if you want to challenge a, a, a rule, the rulemaking process, you have to do it in the court of appeals. That's what you did here, even though it's not what you called it. So, this mess. So, yeah, certainly, um, I, I don't, I don't think, it, I, I think it was probably uh, well thought out. They just got the wrong three judges to try it on. I got you. All right, and so. <clears throat> the process from here, I mean, is it is it would be that they're only only um, part of their option <clears throat> for the plaintiffs in this uh, HIA and the this RE Botanicals Group? Um, uh-huh. Is can they appeal that to the U.S. Supreme Court? Is that appealable? They could. Okay. It, right. it, um, it, it it is appealable. Um, you know, w- whenever you're talking about any case. Um, you know, a well under 10%, and it, it may be under even 1% now because it keeps growing, of, of cases that are appealed to the Supreme Court are, are what's called uh, certiorari is granted um, because the Supreme Court only hears the cases that it chooses. It receives so many requests that it can only hear a very limited number. So it is typically unlikely um, that a, that the Statistically, a court, the court's unlikely to hear any case. Now, I've, it's a very interesting question of whether a plaintiff in this case would want this particular court to hear this particular issue. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you when you start to think about it, I mean, how if the issue is presented one of. Well, there's a possibility. We're, we're preventing marijuana from getting into people's hands. Um, illicit marijuana, um, you know, in process marijuana that's taken out the back door um, and given to people uh, while it's above, you know, 0.3 percent. Uh, well, that might not be perfect for this current court, but if it's more about administrative overreach, then it might be really good for this court. And right. so, uh, even the question of whether to appeal. Um, I think is a is, is a pretty interesting one, um, just sort of given the the uh, both the politics uh, uh, and 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 just the uh, policy makeup of of the of the relevant parties. Um, but yes, they certainly could appeal. Um, they've got um, you know some time to make that decision, uh, and I suspect that in the I would say extremely unlikely event that this was taken up, it, it would be something that you would see the court address um, next. Uh, next winter, so sort of uh, first half of uh, 2023. Yeah. So, uh, so then the other option then for somebody like this might very well be, okay, well, let's just keep doing what we're doing. We're going to go wide open. We don't think the DEA is coming after us. They certainly haven't shown that that's a, a case. We've not been harmed with the full idea that, well, maybe I'm putting myself out there to be harmed. And if I have been harmed, then I've got a reason to be able to possibly go back to this same court of appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, right? Um, and say, okay, you said I hadn't been harmed. Well, guess what? They just came in and raided my whole spot, and now I got up. Yeah. You know, I'm living in a trailer on the back forty out here because they hurt me. Uh, but who wants to go down that road, right? I mean, yeah, and it's interesting because the court even said 
that it typically doesn't require you to actually sort of suffer that type of loss. Um, that, that that if you if you can convince the court that the threat of of harm is real, then that should be sufficient. That's a very a very I, I think reasonable people could disagree about whether a, a CBD manufacturer, for example, who's in process. Uh, product exceeds 0.3% right now, um, I, I think a reasonable person could conclude that they already met that sort of level of jeopardy. Um, this court, I think, very clearly wanted to avoid the issue um, and, and and basically use that as a, you know, there's not a live case yet. There's an out. haven't been injured. Right. Um, but, they gave them an out. Uh, yeah, they did. It, it, they did. Exactly. And um, so, Theoretically, you don't have to wait until um, – and, and so, for example, if, if you got a um, – if this were the Trump administration, um, you know, all of a sudden the president tweets out, I'm instructing my DEA to start, you know, targeting in-process hemp facilities, right. you know, with greater than 0.3, well, maybe that would be enough. Um, where you could say, well, now, you know, look, they've got this directive to do this. Because the DEA the whole time is saying, look, we don't know what you're talking about. We just changed our rules to conform with the statute. Right. And so, um, you know, if there's a little bit more, maybe, you know, it, it could be different. And also the other thing you could do, and I, by the way, I do, I do think it's probably, based on what we know now, I think it's relatively safe to continue to engage in the process, assuming there's not any state law issues um, based on sort of current enforcement guidelines, what you're hearing from the administration, I, I don't think there's much interest. The Biden administration is not interested in going after people who are selling actual marijuana on purpose um, in states where it's legal. I certainly don't think they're interested in going after people who are make, accidentally making technically marijuana when it's really always hemp from the beginning, hemp at the end. Uh, and, you know, it's being regulated and controlled while it's in process. Mm-hmm. That just strikes me as an extremely unlikely um, scenario that by itself. Now, if there's a bunch of other wrongdoing happening at some facility, um, then who knows that that's something that maybe could be tacked on to some sort of charges. But I think it's really unlikely that the government would proceed that way. But one other option I will point out is um, Congress could just change the law. And make it more clear one way or the other. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes you don't, some, sometimes you, there's a little bit of a Pandora's box effect, and you say, "Well, look, Congress, Congress could just clean this up and make it obvious that um, if it exceeds, as long as it's sort of under 0.3 at the beginning, under 0.3 at the end, we don't really care about the middle. Um, that sounds reasonable enough. But it turns out once Congress gets done with it, you know, there's no more hemp allowed." You know, they've right. completely changed. You know, they've reversed the farm bill. So there's a little bit of be careful what you wish for whenever you go in and start fiddling around with um, language. But there will be, you know, probably the end of next year. Um, by the end of next year, you know, I think we'll see another farm bill. And I suspect that you're going to see things like Delta 8 addressed. Sure. Uh, I think you'll see this, this very well may be another one of those types of things that gets uh, tweaked legislatively. And that'll, right. that would, that really should largely moot a lot of these issues. Right. Well, that's what they kind of call sometimes a cleanup bill. 
right? We're going to clean yeah, up a little right. bit. On. We didn't, we weren't really sure. And I think Delta eight is a huge cleanup piece, right? Because, yeah. Oh, okay. We got to go back and really make sure that everybody's clear on that. And who's going to do what to which, and not only other parts of all that too, but you know, regulatory pieces. I think there's going to be several cleanup spots, but that's, that's another call for another day okay, for us to be able to think about what might be in the farm bill for that. So well, if somebody needs to do helpful. something, I will say, uh, you know, I, I will say that it, it's uh, it's a disclaimer. It's not my, uh, my favorite Supreme Court opinion, but um, in the uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, where the court overturned, where the court, sorry, reaffirmed Roe about 20 years after it was first passed, uh, the opening line is, Liberty finds no refuge in a jurisprudence of doubt. And I really do think that something needs to be done on these issues. Uh, you know, Delta 8, uh, this in-process uh, issue, look, if it's legal, these people ought to be able to devote their time, money, and other resources to watching this industry grow in the way that it should. And if it's not, then they need to be told that it's not. Um, but this, this sense of and, – and, and marijuana is different because – you have these conflicting, purposefully conflicting state and federal laws right now, and that'll get sorted out eventually. But it's hard, harder for those people to be heard to complain when federal law is pretty clear about what they can and can't do. A lot of people here are just saying, "Just tell us." Right. You know, I just straight. And by the way, if you tell us that we can't do it, we're probably going to sue you. But at least we can sort it out. We can have some mechanism. But you know, I think the Hemp Industry Association has to be frustrated because they were just trying to get the I mean they wanted the answer they wanted but no answer seems to be almost you know in some ways is worse than the wrong answer um but in other ways you know no answer just means well I guess we'll just keep doing it um but we'll do it with a we'll do it with um with a little bit of a governor on us because you know maybe that extra investor that was going to come in or you know maybe that new that other loan we were going to take out, or that um, new part we were going to buy. Maybe we don't want to get that far out of, of our skis because mm-hmm. it could change. You know, on a you know as soon as the DEA updates their frequently asked questions on their website. So uh, I do think we need to get it sorted out, and I do think it will probably be sorted out in the next year. Interesting, interesting. Well. As always, you give great counsel and you give great insight, and and we um, know a heck of a lot more about this subject than we did. And so I guess the next thing that would happen in any of this is if somebody reported or we were able to see that they indeed decided to appeal, which I understand why you're saying that's not, it doesn't mean they won't appeal. It just means it's really probably not going to be happening that the the Supreme Court would give it cert, right, that they'd even bring it up. But I mean- but but even and then so the better thing may be let's go back um, for the, for these folks cases. Hey, look, legislative cleanup may be your better way of, of doing it. And so in the meantime, keep your head down, keep doing what you're doing and don't go out there and start, you know, poking the bear with the stick. I don't know if that's anything that you that you want to be able to pull off. So it'll be interesting to see. But that certainly makes a lot of sense, even for the non attorney folk like me to be able to understand that. So thank you, man. Tell us about how the blog is going. Uh, plug the blog one more time. The blog is great. It's the buddingtrendsblog.com. Um, it, uh, we have uh, all sorts of cannabis issues, both for uh, uh, your operators, but also your service providers. And not only sort of cannabis-specific issues like 
what we've been talking about today is obviously very specific um, process type things about cannabis, but we also have questions about you know labor and empo- labor and employment, um, you know banking, insurance, uh, and we're going to have something uh, within uh, the next couple of days uh, on the blog about uh, this particular case and what it means, and uh, and we, you know we hope you'll. Hope you'll go again. It's uh, buddingtrendsblog.com. Uh, you can get to it from the Bradley website or just from that web address. Uh, we hope you'll subscribe uh, and follow us and however else you get your daily blogs. Bingo. Terrific. Whit Stoniker, thank you once again for giving us our great legal uh, update. If folks are interested to learn more about the National Hemp Growers Cooperative, uh, you can go back to our website at National Hemp Co-op. Dot us and hear past uh, recorded uh, podcasts with Wit and his uh, compatriot Hunter Robinson, who's a little under the weather for today's recording. Uh, learn more about them as well as other things that that we've got going on with the co-op. Until next time, thanks. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.